and welcome to episode 65 of Be Boomer Unleashed, The Evolution of Music, Part 2, an interview with Shane Cartmill. I'm Jerry Lake, the Unleashed Baby Boomer, and I'll be your host for today's episode and all the episodes of Be Boomer Unleashed. Before we get into today's uh, interview with Shane, let me remind you, as I always do, where you can find our podcast. You can always find us at bboomerunleashed.podbean.com. You can find us on iTunes and Google Play at Be Boomer Unleashed, on iHeartRadio at b.boomerunleashed, on Facebook, Spotify, and Instagram. You can find our link at Be Boomer Unleashed, and on Twitter at Be Boomer Unleashed One. And as always, I encourage you to send us an email at bboomerunleashed at gmail.com. That's bboomerunleashed at gmail.com. And give us any suggestions that you might have for future episodes or any comments or criticisms. If you'd like to be a guest on the Be Boomer Unleashed podcast, we'd certainly encourage you to drop us a line and we'll find something to talk about and we'd be happy to get you on the podcast. Well, last week we interviewed fellow Baby Boomer Randy Bishop as we discussed music of our generation and how music shaped his entire life, really. Well, this week we move forward a generation and interview Shane Cartmill, who we would refer to as a Generation Xer or a post-Baby Boomer. And uh, I would classify Shane as a music aficionado of his generation, and we'll find out why as we go to this recorded interview with Shane Cartmill. Well, today we have with us on Bee Boomer Unleashed, Shane Cartmill, music aficionado. And uh, Shane uh, is post-Baby Boomer, for sure. Last week we interviewed our friend Randy Bishop, uh, who was a Baby Boomer, who is a Baby Boomer, like me. Randy talked about music and his involvement with music back in the day. Well, Shane comes along in a little different generation, and Shane is uh, actually my second cousin, uh, he's more like a nephew because his dad and I are first cousins, but his dad and I are more like brothers. So Shane is a close family here, but I've followed Shane through the years, and uh, he's always had a love for music, and he worked as a DJ and some different things. So we'll let him tell you more about that. But Shane, welcome to Be Boomer Unleashed. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk music with you. Oh, good. Well, you're going to talk things I probably don't understand. I mean, if, <laughs> if, if you wanted to talk about a 350 Chevy and tearing it apart, we could probably do it. But we're getting into a, a generation or an era, if you will, of music that really I'm not very knowledgeable about. So that's why I called in the expert, Shane Cartmill. So Shane, tell us a little bit. Tell us tell us about your love for music, how you got into it, and what, what, what you've done with that over the years. Right. So, I, you know, I'd say that my love for music actually did start with, as you referred to it, the, the music from the baby boomer era. So uh, I grew up, my, my first introduction to music, I guess, was actually in church, like a lot of people, listening to my grandmother play piano in, in church and then um, discovering my dad's records from Davidson's records, as you all <laughs> talked about last week. I was listening to a lot of those 45s that uh, that you and Randy talked about. But the first artist that I really, I think, kind of fell in love with was Johnny Cash. So so that was something that I listened to and loved, you know, through my younger years. The Man in Black. Um, the Man in Black. Right. Somebody that I continue to listen to to this day. But, you know, so that was what started, you know, my love for music. And then 
as I got older and, and not, you know, very old, I would say probably 10 or 11, I started listening to the music that, you know, was popular for my generation and really enjoyed it. And I started to try to, you know, consume as much different types of music, as many different types of music as I could. And then it was then I decided I wanted to be a DJ. So even at the age of like 12, 13, I started DJing dances at schools. And from there, I went in, went on to become a DJ at, at Marshall University and continued to do weddings and parties and, and things like that. And then, of course, I worked at the record store as well, uh, National Record Mart. And then uh, along the way, I continued to help some musicians. I uh, earned a music business certificate from Berkeley College of Music and uh, helped with some promotions. And um, I've had two different music blogs along the way. Uh, my current one is Spin the Black Circle, which talks about the revival of vinyl music. So this that's, is something that's quite a phenomenon. We'll come back to that. Go ahead. I didn't want to yeah, interrupt you, but I want to come back to that resurgence of vinyl. But go ahead. I digress. Sure. No, that's fine. So, so that's kind of my evolution and, and where I'm at. Um, you know, I have a collection of probably, uh, I would say probably 1,200 albums, probably a couple thousand CDs, and then so many music files like the MP3 files that I, I don't even know if I have a count of them. But the point of that is not to brag, but to say I want to listen to as much music as I can, and I've got everything from jazz and bluegrass, country, rock, rap, uh, hard rock, contemporary Christian, um, you know, 1970s, 1960s, 1950s. I listen to it all. And, and what I love about that, too, is, is that, you know, my kids are listening to that music. Um, my, my son has probably the biggest Jim Reeves music collection you've ever seen. I, I'm <laughs> going to say that he probably has close to 30 Jim Reeves albums. Way to go, Riley. Um, yeah. And, and there's probably not very many people my age who know even who that is, but, you know, he was so popular in the, what, the 50s and 60s right. country music. And just, you know, that's what it's, that's what this is all about is just, you know, exposing people to many different types of music and letting people love and, and appreciate what they want. Now, when you were DJing, like for parties and weddings, et cetera, did did you discuss the playlist? I mean, were there groups you went to? We don't want anything but country, or we want oldies music, there, or yeah, what, what yeah, was that all about? So, and, and it's interesting, too, about DJing for those dances and weddings and parties, why I had to get out of it. And, and I'll tell you a little bit about that. But at first, when I was doing school dances, it was really easy because you just played the top 40 songs, right? right? You played what was popular with kids. You played what was, and I knew those songs. Those were the songs I was listening to. So it was the Bon Jovi, the Poison, the New Kids on the Block, um, Richard Marks. You know, you had things that everybody listened to. And maybe you would venture out and grab a Metallica song or something for the few people at the dance, or, you know, maybe more than a few people who loved those songs. And, you would sneak in, uh, you know, a Michael W. Smith. And that was what was cool. You know, I could play a little bit of everything, but I knew what the kids liked. As I got older and was doing more parties and, and weddings, they would come to me and say, yeah, let's, we're going to do country. And, you know, playing more Garth Brooks and John Michael Montgomery and things that were popular at that time. One wedding that strikes me in particular was all Grateful Dead. Wow. And that's all they wanted was just, I and the groom even had the Steal Your Face logo on the back of his white uh, tuxedo. And I remember that, you know, it was just so striking to me that, okay, I'm going to do a, 
a Grateful Dead wedding, and and it was very different. And uh, then I would go, uh, you know, maybe to um, uh, I don't know um, a retirement party, and I would be playing. You know, I was like, Dad, I'm going to need some of your records. <laughs> and I would be playing fifties and sixties music. So, right. yeah, there were definitely times where the, you know, the playlist was, was discussed, but then what started making it really difficult was that music started to splinter a little bit and people listened to subgenres and specific music and people splintered more than they ever had. Top 40 became less relevant and you suddenly had people who listened to thrash metal and people who listened to, uh, West Coast rap, and they got you know very specific, and it and it got very difficult to be able to purchase. This was before MP3s, and uh, you know you had to be able to find all this music. So it, it got very difficult to know what people were going to listen to or what they would want. And I didn't personally want to sink like all the money that I had earned from those gigs right back into the music to. For the next gig, you know, it was, you know, I had to earn some money too, but that's what I found that I was having to do was buy a lot of music that I personally was never going to listen to again. Right. Well, you know, and I think a lot of that, and you and I discussed this briefly uh, uh, off air, but the music videos probably changed a lot of that, didn't it? It really did because, um, you know, at first when, when MTV started and Friday Night Videos was really popular, again, it was really the top 40 type songs. But then they started doing a lot of shows. You know, MTV started doing like 120 Minutes, which was a show about alternative music. They had Headbangers Ball, which was just rock music. They had Yo! MTV Raps, which was just rap music. So they started to really get those videos that were of that particular genre. And people found, hey, I, I don't like Top 40 as well as I like these. And so MTV was very influential, and it, and it changed music, too, as we all know. Suddenly, there was also less emphasis sometimes on the actual musicianship and more on how you looked. So there were bands out there that were popular or earning money that were maybe not the best bands in the world, but they looked good doing it, so they were they were hits. And, I, I, and of course, that's you know come full circle that... Now they put bands together. You know, the boy bands are a particular example of that, where they actually put bands together based on the personalities and the way they look, as opposed to you got your buddies together and you created a garage band. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, you talked about um, if, if, the, if the group looked good, that's what people were looking for. And, you know, we've become such, and probably the 80s and 90s is, is really when this exploded, we've become such a visually oriented society, and so many of the music videos, I mean, you know, some of the videos, I mean, some of the uh, CDs or the, or the audio cuts of these songs, if you just listened to that and didn't watch the video, it would conjure up a whole different image and so, so many of these videos if you just listen to the song you wouldn't think it was a sexually explicit song but you put the video to it and it becomes that absolutely you don't even think about the double entendre until you see the images that go with it and you know the other thing about that too is is the attention span um you know i, I my degree is in radio and television production and, you know, we talked about in history of, of broadcasting, sound clips and video clips used to be 
a minute or two minutes long and, and news stories would be, you know, packages is what they would call them. They would be sometimes four and five minutes on a topic. MTV comes along and suddenly you've got these quick cuts, right? So you're cutting every uh, five, seven seconds. You know, now it's down to even one or two seconds. But people's attention span started getting smaller because of the MTV effect. And, and it, it impacted all aspects of our lives, not just music, but also news and movies and television shows and even conversations, you know, that, that people couldn't keep up with, you know, a lengthy conversation or couldn't watch a lengthy news story or couldn't watch a TV show that didn't have a lot of cuts in it. Well, you know, back when, in, several years ago when I was newsworthy, <laughs> you know, I'm not now, but uh, the TV station would come around to school or something and want to interview the principal, you know. And uh, I got tickled. I, they, I got to know them all very well, and they said, we love interviewing you. You talk in 20-minute sound or 20-second sound bites, you know. So they say you've got the perfect sound bite. And see now you can't even yeah that's I mean that's true you learn to talk in sound bites and now you can't even talk in twenty seconds sound oh bites. no it's shorter it's, than it's that. even shorter now so so music had a profound effect on our life at that point and we might not have even realized it you know we were just watching MTV and Friday night videos and, and didn't even realize the impact that it was having on our brains yeah I mean that's that's just crazy but you know the uh, and then we branched off of that on the, you know, everybody's a YouTube sensation. You know, there's all these little downloads. And probably by and large, because you know, you've got these music channels that are 24-7 and you can, you know what to do. And, of course, with the technology today, you can record the thing or TiVo it or whatever the latest and greatest is and listen to it at your leisure. So really the need for buying music per se has diminished yeah. somewhat also. It's, it's certainly changed. And now that's going to tie into the vinyl discussion and we'll come back to that. I'm sure. But, you know, and I, I kind of laughed at Randy last week talking about, he doesn't have time to download music. And I'm like, wait a minute, who downloads music now? Because you just rent it and stream it. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, well, you got to remember he, Randy and I are old school, you know, so, so downloading. <laughs> You guys are talking like, uh, you know, you were five years ago here. Um, so, yeah, it's it's funny that we don't even download music the same way. The digital music has even changed, that you don't download MV3s the same way that you once did. You now stream it. But then, you know, you're talking about the kids who are listening to these YouTube sensations. And, yeah, artists are becoming big just based on YouTube. And now the big thing is TikTok. So what's really interesting to me is to watch my daughter, who is eight years old, uh, or who will be eight, and then, um, you know, her friends who are watching TikTok, and they'll say, how do you know this TikTok song? Well, it's, you know, like, let's take, for example, the song Break My Stride, you know, Ain't Nothing Gonna Break My Stride by Matthew Wilder from 1983. Right. And I'm like, what do you mean, how do I know that song? That was popular when I was 10 or 11 or 12 or whatever. <laughs> And I can sing all the lyrics, and they're just looking at me like, "Why does Dad know the song from TikTok?" All of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're the old guy in the room. <laughs> I'm, I'm the old guy in the room, and and it's just funny. But but here's the interesting part about that too is, those are only like twenty or thirty second clips, if that. Sometimes ten or fifteen seconds. So they're hearing the hooks and the chorus of of a song, 
And then when I play them the full song, they don't realize that it's a four minute long song and they don't even like to listen to it that long because they're they're You know, it's changed again how we're consuming music. We're consuming it based on funny videos or dances that people have set to these songs from the 60s, 70s and 80s. My girlfriend's daughter mentioned the other day, she's like, oh, that TikTok song, you were just listening to it. Well, I was listening to Motown's Greatest Hits, and it was Please, Mr. Postman. <laughs> but she referred to it as the TikTok song. And, wow. And that's just, you know, it's awesome that they're being exposed to that music because they probably wouldn't be for any other reason. No. But it's weird to me the way that they are being exposed to it, and it's funny to see their perception of it the TikTok song. And it's like, you know, please, Mr. Postman is one of the greatest Motown songs that ever of all was. time. Yeah. And, um, you know, awesome that they, that they're hearing it and know it, but, but funny the way they perceive it. Right. So all of these different genres that, that have come down the pike forties era, that was mostly, um, you know, big band crooners. And then in the fifties, you got into the Elvis type music and the, and the uh, uh, introduction of rock and roll in the 60s we really went off the rails with the, with the British invasion and all that you know and then 70s they got into disco and a lot of different things like that but then the 80s and 90s in particular and for us old guys okay and I, I don't want to be offensive to any generation out there but to, to us old guys some of that stuff we said that's not music so, so how how does that happen? How does how does non melodic sound <laughs> become music? You know, you know it's it's funny you mention that because I'm going to pick on one of the greatest, and I put that in air quotes, albums according to to people, which is um, Nirvana's Nevermind. Okay, it's it's an album that really changed quote changed music in the early nineties because we had hair metal and we had top 40 boy bands and stuff like that. And then along comes this grunge music heralded in by Nirvana. Right. I think it's a terrible album and I'm probably one of the only music aficionados out there who will go out on a limb and say that. And you know, it, it's, it has no, now you're going to get me hate mail. Now you're going to get me hate mail. (laughs) But the point is that, you know, the music is in the eyes and ears of the beholder. And, and that's, I think, the point that I didn't love it. I didn't understand why it was so popular, but, but other people did. And you know, I, would, I would challenge and say that, you know, your parents probably said the same thing. About, oh, no doubt. You know, the Beatles and Elvis and Rolling Stones that, boy, that's not music. That's just a lot of racket and noise. And, yeah. you know, I can hear my grandfather saying that. But it, it, it is different, and it, and it does evolve or, you know, maybe devolves. I don't know. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I heard Randy talking about, like, the rap where they kind of mumble, and there's really, you know, I, I love some rap music. I, there are some rap music that I love. I love the beat. I love the lyrics. I like to listen to people talk about a different world that I've never been in or will never understand. But then this new genre of rap comes along that, that they just mumble and I'm like, they sound like they're asleep. Like, I don't, I don't understand that. And this rock music that sounds like it's, you know, just so sanitized that, you know, it's, it's so safe for the Rolling Stones or the Beatles. 
they tried something new or the Beach Boys, they tried new things. Uh, Duran Duran, for instance, in the 80s became all about the video. But we're not seeing people take the same chances that, that they used to. Right. Um, and, I, and I just, you know, that's that was kind of weird to me to, to see some of those evolutions. And maybe now I'm talking like the old guy, but. Um, well, you know, but, you early know, early Beatles to late Beatles, no comparison. No comparison at all. And some of that psychedelic stuff that they did. And, you know, I love all Beatles music, but there's some of it. Like the White Album, I don't really pull it out and listen to it that often. But, I, you know, I'll listen to some of the early music that they did, you know, repeatedly and, and love it. So I think it's just what, what you grow up with, what you like and, and what you listen to. But it does become challenging. You know, I always wanted to say that, you know, I was never going to be that person who said, wow, that, I don't get this type of music. And I try to always remain relevant and listen to as much as I can. But there's definitely music out there now that I don't get. I don't understand. Well, the and thing I guess that's okay. Sure. The thing that I don't understand about a lot of this music, and and you know, I I can't say that you know I hate any music. Now, some of it I don't like. I choose not to listen to. But back in fifties and sixties, and even into the seventies, songs had lyrics that the lyrics would hook you and they would actually tell a story almost like a ballad or something, you know. Sure, sure. Now, I don't understand how the repetition of like seven words over and over and over and over again tell <laughs> tell any story, you know. And I think, again, that's reflective of the attention span, perhaps, that, you know, maybe it's more about just the hook or the few words or the few lyrics, and it, they know it's going to be played as a ringtone or a TikTok video. And you don't have to have the ballad or the song or the story. There are still people out there creating that music, though, for sure. Right. Uh, there definitely are still artists that do that, and there are some that do it really well. But you're right. There's a few that rise to the top of the charts. If you showed me the top 40 chart right now on iTunes, I bet you I wouldn't know a single song on it. Yeah. Um, and that's really different. That's really different than you know, five years ago or 10 years ago. Now, if you look at the album charts, that's completely different. You know, back in July of last year, the number one and number two spots were Madonna and Bruce Springsteen. Right. So it looked like the 1980s all over again. Right. So, you know, it's it's definitely different, but I think so also sometimes the, the, the things remain the same, too. If you um, look at the hottest concert ticket of the summer before our current situation hit, the Rolling Stones was was still the number one ticket to get. That's incredible. And, um, it's incredible, but you know they put on a show and they've got a, a catalog to pull from. And it's like bands like um, Fish, who kind of walked you know behind the Grateful Dead, or Jimmy Buffett, who can pull from these extensive catalogs of music, and you know bring people in because you don't know what they're going to play, or you watch. Um, there was just recently a, um, a Christian rock concert um, in Columbus, and I forget the name of it, but there were several bands. There was a festival of sorts. And what's really cool about those things is that you see them telling a story or they're coming together for a purpose, and, and that's really neat to watch because you don't see that with some of the other acts. So there are still bands out there today. You've got the oldies. I don't want to call them oldies acts because they're still relevant. Right. Um, but you've also got contemporary people who are, who are playing, you know, great music with a purpose uh, that people come together to see. So 
there's still a lot of great stuff out there, but you know, any generation, we're going to have those people that we put over in the corner and go, how did that become a number one? <laughs> how did that happen? And you know, I think a lot of the, I think a lot of these old bands and, and, uh, you know, the reason maybe that their popularity is somewhat because of these little snippets of those songs you get in these different places because they sing and all of a sudden it's familiar to those people, Absolutely. you know. And so yep. who in the United States of America don't know when the tune of Take Me Home Country Roads. I mean, right. everybody knows that. Let's talk a little bit about this resurgence of vinyl, Shane. That's, that's a phenomenon. I mean, your dad and I, you, we used to get records, uh, visit Davidson's record shop like Randy and I were talking about last week, and we would buy singles, and we had a collection of those, and then we could rake a little money together and get a whole album, you know, and and sure. then then along came eight track and we thought that was uh, you know the the big deal and then cassettes and and CDs but now we're having seen a resurgence of vinyl tell t- tell us what you think about that you know we were just talking about this the other day and uh, somebody said well it started with the hipsters you know the hipsters you know you think of people with you know jeans that were stiff as a board and rolled up wearing their boots and their flannel shirts and their huge beards and and, and then we started laughing. We're like, you know, not really, because there were people out there who were still listening to vinyl. I think they just kind of kick-started it, you know, they being the, the hipster generation or the hipster movement. But I really think it's more music nerds and this discovery process. So, so I think you've got a few different things going on. You've got people like myself, who I will say is a music nerd. I still want that that product. Like, I want to hold that record and I want to see those pictures and the, the lyric sheet. And I want to listen to the whole album, right? I want to sit down and listen to it as an experience. And I think that that is what the kids, you know, my, my son and my daughter who are also buying vinyl records now, I think they're experiencing that. And they're like, wait a minute, there are songs beyond 20 seconds or beyond 30 seconds. And that's cool because now it's on blue vinyl. You know, the latest Taylor Swift was on cotton candy vinyl. It was on a blue record and a pink record. So volume one and volume two on pink and blue. Well, the girls love it. They put it up in their room and they've got something cool to look at. But then when they play it, you know, it's like, oh, that's really cool. And I hear the girls talking about it and they can see the pictures. And and it's a different experience to them. And for the older folks like myself, we go to the record store and we rediscover records we had forgotten about, or we see a record and say, Oh, that's interesting. I I don't remember that. I think I'm going to go ahead and get that and listen to it. Um, But then it's also that experience that you guys talked about. I have friends at record stores, you know, we run into some of the same people, my favorites, you know, spoonful records here in Columbus and lost weekend records you know, I see those people and, and, and we run into the same individuals and the store owners. I love to talk to them and, you know, Bucks Records in Ashland. It's it's just a community. So you you talk to folks, you you make friends with them, much like you would have done in the 60s when you were at Davidson. You right. saw the same people. And I think there's there's an aspect of that. You know, it's like, oh, I'll pick up a record and I'm looking at it. And then the guy next to me says, man, that's one of my favorites. Or, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you pick up something, you see somebody kind of looking at it, maybe they're younger than you, and 
I look over and I'm like, hey, you know, I really like the one on the left there better than the one on the right. They were, I love that band. Yeah. And they're like, oh, cool, thanks. And so, so there's that. And then, you know, the other, the other cool thing about it is, is we do what's called crate diving. So I'll take the kids or, uh, you know, grab a couple of their friends and I'll give them, you know, 10 bucks each. Well, that's pretty cheap to be able to, you know, cheap entertainment to give your kids $10 and say, we're going to go crate digging here for records. Who can find the most obscure thing? Who can find the weirdest record? Who can find the most valuable record that was, you know, inadvertently put in the, the dollar bin or the 50 cent bin? And we have a contest out of it. And so, you know, who can find a Disney record that's really popular? Um, so the kids have a great time kind of playing around with it. And, and I think that's part of it, too. Um, so there's, I think, a lot of stuff. The pictures, the, the full album covers the experience of setting down and listening to it from start to finish instead of hearing one song or a few seconds of a song. And the camaraderie, the, the community. Right. Well, and it's, a, it's an entirely different experience. If you're listening to a, a CD or a, or a digital download or whatever, and you're into it, and, and and you're wanting to listen to the third song instead of the the first one. You say, oh, "I don't care about that." And you just blink, blink, and you're there. Whereas you've actually got to physically pick up that uh, turntable arm and put it over two tracks or whatever, you know. Right. Or if you want to go back, there's no rewind button. You've got to pick. There's no right. And, and so and it's it's an entirely different thing. It it truly is, and you know. I heard Randy mention this too about the snap, crackle, and pop. Now, see, my turntable, I'm, I'm going to be honest here. I put a lot of money into my setup. I'm not hearing snap, crackle, and pop. I, mine sounds just like a CD. Right. If I get a record that's crackling and popping, it's probably because it's really old or it's really rare. Right. Um, Riley, on the other hand, my son wants that experience. He loves to hear the snap, crackle, and pop. Um, so he thinks that's what's cool about it. He likes to be able to put on a record from the 40s or 50s or 60s and say, that's really cool because it's making this noise and it sounds like it transports me back in time. And I'm like, you know, that's that's a good point. You know, you're experiencing this transport back to 1950s, maybe in Harlem, listening to John Coltrane. Or, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and where else are you going to get that experience? You, you're, you're not. not. You're not. I know what to get Riley for Christmas now, so I can check, <laughs> check that one off my Christmas list. There you go. But, uh, wow. Well, Shane, I'm kind of looking at the uh, uh, clock here, and, and we're just about to, out of time for this episode, but it's been great. I'd like to do it again sometime. Maybe we can uh, maybe we can talk some about, about some other aspects, but it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Maybe when this... Uh, situation we're in here this virus that's got everybody uh, landlocked uh, we'll get together soon and uh, hope to do that so uh, Shane great. Uh, pleasure talking with you and, and we'll do it again okay thanks all right thank you uh-huh. well that was Gen X or Shane Cartmill music aficionado and our discussion about music in his generation well that was fun and uh, Shane has a wealth of knowledge. He mentioned briefly at the beginning of the podcast about a blog that he has on Facebook, but uh, I looked it up, and it's a great blog for those music lovers out there. I encourage you to take a look at it. You can find it on Facebook at Spin the Black Circle Vinyl. Spin the Black Circle Vinyl. 
and uh, Shane has a lot of information on there about music and uh, some good comments, and I, I think you'll enjoy it. Shane's a good guy, and we appreciate it having him on the show. Hope we can do it again sometime. Well, listen, thanks for joining us for this episode of Bee Boomer Unleashed, and next week we'll have some other music expert on here to take us down this path of the evolution of music. So until then, have a great week, and may God bless each and every one of you. Goodbye. Goodbye.